Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 75 is an interview with Donnie Campbell. Donnie of Inverness in Scotland is an ex-Royal Marine commando with a background in a wide range of sports, from mountaineering and kayaking to football and shinty. Yes, shinty. (laughs) Shinty is a sport that is unique to Scotland and one of the oldest games in the world. The game is similar to games such as hockey and lacrosse in some aspects and has has historical roots with golf and ice hockey. As with lacrosse, the game is a fast-moving aerial game where physical fitness is tested to the limits. However, different from both hockey and lacrosse, um, as in shinty, feet can be used to stop the ball, but not the hands, unless you are the goalkeeper. You can carry the ball on your, I think it's pronounced cammon, which is the stick used in the game, which can also be swung above shoulder height. A skillful eye and a sense of survival are paramount. This is important information because uh, Donnie talks about how Shinty was so important to him. However, Donnie's passion now, his greatest passion, is running and he has gone on to excel in this. Donnie has recently set an astonishing new Monroe's record to finish all 282 mountains over 3,000 feet, which is 914.4 metres, in Scotland in 31 days, 23 hours and 2 minutes. Monroe's are all the mountains that are over 3,000 feet, so that's what they're called. He ran and power hiked a total of 1,422 kilometres and cycled and kayaked in between the mountains. Can I ask you a favour? Would you be able to go on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review and subscribe? Doing this helps the podcast grow, which gets uh, more runners and athletes knowing about the podcast and helps me when I'm asking some of the big names to come on. Your help is greatly appreciated. How's your running going? If you are plagued by niggles and injuries, head to the specialist at Health and High Performance now so that they can get you back to your running best before all the races come back. You don't want to have to be dealing with those injuries when you suddenly realise you want to uh, be racing and there are races that you can go into. So get yourself sorted now and you will be ready and raring to go. So head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram, Health High Performance. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to racing. Fingers crossed I'll be at the prom in December. Though, mind you, I'm just going to be running it for the fun of being with other people. But to be ready when the racing season does start up again, and I'm sure it will start up in earnest, you need to be working on getting stronger, fitter and faster now. You can do this with a structured and well-planned training program with Peak Endurance Coaching. Email me, Isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and let's get your training moving in the right direction. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Donnie. Hi, Donnie, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your athletic background and how you got into running? Cool. So um, I'm based in Inverness in Scotland. Um, So I'm actually from Sky. So my sporting background from an early age was playing shinty, which is a kind of a Scottish game played up north coast and kind of more around the Speyside way. Uh, so I played that to quite a high level, Scotland under 17 development squads, etc. cetera. Uh, then joined the Marines at 17. So uh, yeah, did three and a half years in the Marines. Uh, so obviously quite physically demanding. And then from there, I went on to university to study sports coaching and development. And then kind of 
got into long distance running after I finished university to kind of try and get fit again to play shinty. So obviously university lifestyles, you know, you drink too much, you party too much, you eat too much. Uh, so yeah, basically, um, I think that's about 2008, 2009, friend said, oh, why don't you come do this race on Isla Endurance, two islands in the west coast of Scotland. It was like 150 miles over five days, so MDS kind of style race. And I thought, yeah, so it's like a great adventure. It's kind of why I joined the Marines in the first place. So did that and just really enjoyed uh, running over hills. So that's kind of how I end up becoming like a um, mountain endurance runner and uh, basically my day job is uh, running coach, so kind of degree in sports coaching development. So it's all kind of linked around specialising in endurance running, really. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And so recently you ran all of Scotland's Munros. Can you explain to my listeners who may not know what a Munro is? So Munro in Scotland is uh, held over 3,000 feet or 900 and odd meters um, yeah. it's classed as a Monroe so there's some peaks that are over that distance but not Monroe because they're close to a bigger peak so it's basically all the big peaks over 3,000 uh, feet and there's 282 of them classed in Scotland uh, all spread out from way up north in Sutherland so near Cape Wrath to the most southerly Ben Lomond which is kind of near Glasgow yeah, so yeah all over so yeah um, basically in August, I well, it wasn't in August I decided. I decided last year that I kind of wanted to climb all the Monroes in Scotland. I've never climbed them all. I've done, I've done most of them. And yeah. I thought it'd be cool to just do them all in one go. Uh, so basically last year I started planning a Monroe round, um, which is basically climbing all the Monroes. Uh, and I decided to go on a self-propelled style. So that was either cycle or kayak in between them and then run, walk, crawl up with them. Um, that's what the previous styles have been done. And the previous record was like 39 days and nine hours. So, yeah, I kind of started planning it last year and then uh, went for it in August, really. So, yeah, that's kind so of... You, so you started planning this actually before COVID and all that sort of stuff. So you would have done it regardless. Uh, yeah, so basically I've been wanting to do it for a few years. So well, I've always wanted to climb all of my nose in Scotland and then kind of over the last maybe three, four years, wanted to do a self-propelled and roll round, but it was like, because I raced quite a lot in the summer, I was like, I was enjoying the racing, so um, it wasn't until last year, I was like, okay, I kind of feel ready to take a year off racing and mm-hmm. kind of concentrate on this big adventure. So June last year, I made the decision not to do any races in 2020 and concentrate on this adventure. So I originally planned it for end of May, beginning of June. Uh, longer daylight in Scotland and it's before the school holidays break up so it's a bit less busy still busy because it's summer mm. but a bit less busy uh, but that got uh, kiboshed because of uh, the COVID restrictions in Scotland at the time so yeah it's kind of one of these ones there was a lot of planning involved but then there's also a lot of last minute planning so I wasn't sure whether I'd get to go in August with some of the travel restrictions that were in place until like middle of July but yeah thankfully I managed to able to start it on the 1st of August. And, and what made you decide you wanted it to be self-propelled? Um, I wanted the challenge. I wanted to see how far I could push myself physically. So, you know, and I didn't like the idea of doing some Monroes and then getting in a car and driving because mm. some of the access to Monroes are on like private estate roads. So, you know, or Landover tax. So, you know, if, it, if you take a vehicle access off a Landover tax, 
how far do you take it up land over pack? You know, you class it as, you know, you've climbed the Minot rather than you've driven halfway up and then climbed the last wee bit. So it was kind of that, and I just kind of liked the idea of self-propelled. I um, cycling and kayaking running, like, you know, I got asked the question, why didn't you just do it all running? And for me, like, you know, the running on the road doesn't appeal to me. So like the long road sections where you'd had link different mountain ranges up, running it just didn't appeal I wasn't enthused by that but whereas mm. if you're cycling it's kind of that's the appropriate travel for traveling long distance on road if you're self-propelled so yeah it just made sense to do it that way and obviously last two Monroe rounds that had the record set were both self-propelled so like uh, Stephen Pikes in 2010 and then Charlie Campbell before that both cycled Charlie swam Stephen can between the, the Monroe on Mull and the mainland yeah. And so had you done a lot of cycling and kayaking before? Uh, not a lot of cycling. I didn't really, I've, I've always liked to cycle as a kid, but I didn't actually own a bike until uh, end of last year. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I was fairly new to cycling. Uh, yeah. So spent maybe the autumn last year just doing a lot of cycling and then had a wee bit of cycling in my training schedule leading into the mineral round. Um, Kayaking, I wasn't worried. There's was only three kayaking sections. And when I was at college and university studying sports coaching and development, years ago, I actually was doing a lot of kayaking. I was actually a level three kayak coach uh, on inland okay. water. So I knew the kayaking would be fine. It was like 20 minute kayaks or 10 minute oh. kayaks. So it wasn't really a long distance. So yeah, it was fine. Yeah, fair enough. So how, how did you train for such a big challenge? <clears throat> Um, so, obviously last year I spent a lot of time on the bike towards the end of last year, um, getting used to cycling and just kind of building up cycling fitness, getting comfortable on the bike. Um, basically, you know, I would probably say I've been training all my life for this big adventure because, you know, all the experience I've gained previously helped me be successful. So like times from when I was in the Marines to, you know, my early days of long distance running the mistakes I made in races and in training, you know, I've kind of enhanced kind of the way I train or the my approach to training and nutrition and stuff. But yeah, so uh, I've been probably training all my life. More specifically, you know, obviously come January, February, March, April, May, June, it was just a lot of volume. Um, I wasn't too worried, too worried about specific speed sessions. There might be one speed session a week just because I enjoy running hard now and again, but it was a lot of kind of just long days in the mountains or like cycling to the mountains and then running in them and then coming back. So, you know, on average, I was probably averaging between 20 and 25 hours of training a week. And then on my peak weeks, I was probably about 30 hours of training. And that was kind of like 90% running, 10% cycling um, on that. So yeah, and it was just a lot of, so when we had restrictions in Scotland, there was a lot of just repetitions on my local hill, which was just out, out across the front door. So, you know, I'd probably be getting uh, 2,000, 2,500 metres of ascent a day just by That's right. doing That's two right. runs on the main hill. So, you know, I worked in ascent. So I've always kind of worked in ascent for the last three or four years. I don't really worry about distance. So, yeah, yeah. Um, generally I would be getting over... 10,000 metres of ascent a week as well, climbing-wise. That just gives you an idea of the volume. Yeah, so it's wow. definitely all kind of just steady states on one and two. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. That's that's huge. And um, do you find did you find that the cycling helped with your running? Like some, uh, you can often people find that the cycling transfers over to running. Um, in training, I found cycling just let me increase my volume because it's non-impact. So obviously, mm -hmm. you know, if I was doing twenty plus hours of running, then I could get another five hours on the bike, which would increase my training volume. Um, so yeah, you know, it's easier to get a lot more volume on the bike because there's less impact through the body. Um, whether it complements, it's hard to say. You know, cycling's obviously muscles are the same but used in a different way and it's mm. non-impact on weight bearing um so yeah i enjoyed the cycling just because it was kind of something different and something still relatively new um to do um and it was a nice way of you know especially when your legs were tired to get some extra volume in training wise yeah. um and then again during the round um uh, I really enjoyed the cycling because it was just something different to look forward to and it was actually easier than going up and down hills is just sitting on the bike for a couple of hours spinning the legs, but yeah. And it would have been easier to eat on the bike, wouldn't it, then when you're running? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was easier to eat on the bike, but again, during the round, it wasn't particularly hard. It was not like I was racing, so, mm. you know, I was going at a very easy pace because I was having to do multiple days of like 12, 14 hours, so, yeah. you know, I was able to eat solid foods throughout yeah, I never I was never sick at any point during the 31 days oh wow um, that's brilliant so you know nutrition eating while on the bike or moving was was fine because I was moving you know I was walking most of the uphills and it's not like I had like people chasing me or being chased or you know I could stop and you know eat a bar if I wanted to at the top of a summit and take an interview for like a couple of minutes and then carry on so yeah it wasn't um Eating wasn't a problem, whereas normally in racing then, you know, you're, you're putting your body under a bit more stress. It can be a bit harder to get the nutritional demands in. And um, what, what was your nutrition like? What sort of things were you eating? Okay, so kind of when I was moving, it was mainly active route, which is a carbohydrate sports drink with a bit of ginger in it. It's made from raw cane sugar. So I've been using that for years. I find that it's great. It kind of doesn't give me any GI distress or issues. And then, so that's got 40 grams of carbohydrate. So I was looking at trying to get minimum 90 grams of carbohydrate every hour. You know, yeah. there's studies in mountain marathons that suggest that you can consume up to 120 grams of carbohydrate every hour if you train your gut. I did try that, but I found that was leaving me a bit nauseous at the start. So I settled for around about 90 grams. It wasn't exact science, you know. Um, and then I'd be mainly cliff bars or crack bars um, or shop blocks and then the occasional caffeine gel towards the end of the day. But yeah, um, that was basically my nutrition for when I was out in the hill or on the bike. And then when I was back at the van, it was more like just an eating competition. I wasn't counting calories or carbohydrates. It was more just trying to get as much food in as possible. So that was kind of like uh, a recovery drink as soon as I finished. And then either just like crisps or... Uh, cakes or biscuits and then an evening meal which is mainly pasta or a lentil bolognese or a, a veggie burger or pizza over near near a pizzeria so yeah so did you find you were having like you were hungry in of when you finished or you were kind of having to force the food in uh, i was very some days i'd be kind of a bit hungry some days it's more just a chore like you know, it sounds like an ideal world that you get to eat what you want and as much of it as you want. But after like one or two days, 
you know, you got sick of food. Like, I, yeah. I, I, it was more just like another part of the training or the round was just, you know, I had to eat till basically I was eating every night until I felt like I'd just finished the Christmas lunch and I had to roll <laughs> off to bed. So I was kind of aware of eating until I was like really full, like almost sickly full. And then I just like stagger off to bed, you know. That's the amount of calories I was trying to consume, and I was still losing weight, which I was never oh, wow. thought I would lose weight. So I wasn't I wasn't surprised at that. I was just kind of like, yeah, I was eating massive portions for dinner. To yeah. the point, it just felt like every evening I was eating a Christmas lunch and size food. You're just like that sore stomach, kind of sleepy, nauseous kind of feeling. And so, yeah, how much how much weight did you lose? I don't know, I didn't weigh myself at the start and I didn't really weigh myself at the finish. But yeah, I looked a bit leaner um, yeah. at the end and it was a bit lighter than my normal weight when I got back. But yeah, um, I couldn't tell exactly how much weight I lost. Um, yeah. So what was involved in organising the challenge? I know you said you started planning it last year, so it took about six months to organise. Was it a big thing to organise? <clears throat> uh, yeah, no. So, you know, planning the most efficient route or trying to think of the most efficient route because some of the hills in Scotland are quite remote and quite boggy and linking them up where no one's been before you're kind of um yeah having to kind of look at different lines and that so there's a lot of times looking at a map uh speaking to other hill runners that know certain areas slightly better getting their input as well into kind of the route because i was following a linear route i didn't have to get back to where i started each day uh, it meant I was doing like completely different routes to what a normal person would do or what a normal walking route is on these hills. So, you know, I'd be dropping off the back of a hill going into a glen or a valley, um, which very few people have gone zero path to get link up some Mormon roads. So, yeah, um, so that took up a fair bit of time in the autumn organizing just the route, route itself. And then, kind of logistics. <laughs> It was all right. It wasn't too bad. Like I'd, I had a crew ready to go in May, but then that got cancelled. So I was trying to get um, a sport crew for August, which ended up just being my wife uh, because of COVID restrictions. Felt safer just having one support crew rather than having two or three people changing over every different week. You know, just kind of that mm -hmm. bubble. Um, and the van that worked out really well because after the first couple of days, she kind of knew what I was wanting each evening and kind of the setup of the van and the routines we had. So, you know, having that just one, one set of support group, I, I reached my wife, um, made a big difference um, on that. So, in logistics, I own a motorhome, uh, so that was going to be a race and bike. So yeah, it was fairly, yeah, it was fairly straightforward logistics if you're used to planning adventures like that. Um, yeah, so I didn't find it too challenging. It was a bit time consuming kind of organizing enough nutrition and kind of speaking to different sponsors and different people. And then also I would get filmed for BBC Adventure Shows. So it was just, yeah, just a lot of kind of communication uh, and making sure people are in the right place and know what's yeah. happening and stuff. That was all last minute. So I didn't really know I was going to go in August until like middle of July. So that's kind of oh, like wow. where it last yeah. minute. And so um, I know sometimes for some of the rounds, uh, people have local guides to find the best route. Did you have anyone like that or paces? Uh, no, I didn't have any local guides. Um, uh, I've done a few of them in rows and then obviously I've wrecked some 
Uh, I did have some friends join me for uh, a few days um, and they helped carry some of my food in the bigger days. But I think they, I think I had company for 64 of the 282 minerals um, on that. So yeah, I had friends join me, but I, yeah, that was it. So yeah. Yeah, which is, um, I mean, a, a part of ultra running is spending a lot of time on your own. So I suppose it's pretty fairly normal then anyway. Yeah, like I, I don't mind being on my own. I spend a lot of time on my own. I work from home, uh, so yeah, and then I train a lot by myself. So yeah, uh, having my own company, I'm kind of comfortable in that. So yeah, it's, it's not yep. a problem. Yep, I get it. Um, so after when you'd finished like a twelve to fourteen hour day, and obviously eating was part of your recovery. Did you do anything else for recovery? You said you only had your wife as a crew, so I'm assuming you didn't have a masseur or anything like that. How did you make sure your legs were feeling okay for the next day? So I had a machine called the recovery pump. It's basically a big compression bag for your legs, which help flush the fluid back into the central body. So I'd be on that for maybe 45 minutes to an hour. So that was kind of like my routine. I'd get in, uh, have a recovery drink, maybe a quick shower, and then sit in this machine with my legs uh, up on a bench with um, the machine running, and then I'd just eat and then have dinner while still on the machine and then be in bed. So from time finishing some days, being in bed, I'd probably be an hour and a half. You know, that's kind of how prioritising sleep I was getting. You know, I wasn't faffing about. I'd get in, I'd have a shower, I'd have a recovery drink. I'd sit in this recovery pump machine um, and then get to bed, really. Um, so that was it. I did have a friend who's a sports massage who came and visited three times. So I managed to get three sports massages during the 31 days. Um, yeah, that was it really. Uh, there wasn't any key secrets to recovery. Like first couple of days I tried stretching and then uh, just kind of ended up just sitting on the recovery machine because I was just too tired to stretch afterwards. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, stretching is one of those things that sounds great, but not, not many people really actually do it. Um, <clears throat> so did you get a decent amount of sleep? Yeah, I would say I average about eight hours sleep a night. Obviously there's some days I got a bit less. Um, but yeah, like there's some days I got a bit more. So in some, just the way the hills lie, some days were like really long, so they were like 16 hours. And then some days, like the occasionally you might be done in like eight hours. So, you know, if you finish in eight hours, you can get a bit more sleep. Whereas the longer days, you might have a bit less sleep. But yeah, on average, I've said managed to get eight hours sleep. I was very kind of trying to prioritize that because that's when your body recovers the best. So, yes. you know, I wouldn't say I was solid eight hours sleep, but, you know, I was getting eight hours lying down in bed on average at night um yeah so it wasn't too bad sleep-wise well, yeah and, and sleep is meant to be one of the best recovery methods there are so so that's really good and um so with the, so did you get any niggles or were you fine the whole time uh, yeah i had quite a few niggles so <laughs> after like the first five days my right tibia Tending down the front of my right ankle was starting to get inflamed, but just tended off me. And I got really bad day seven. It was really hurting um, to the point I was like almost in tears coming down hills. That's when I was loading it in a way that was really, really agony. Um, but I managed to get on top of it. You know, um, I had a friend who ran from John O'Groats to the Sahara Desert. So that's like the very north part of Scotland, all, all the way through Europe into Morocco to the Sahara Desert. Uh, quite a few years ago and I remember him uh, getting Achilles getting up after the first like three or four days 
but he managed it and it eventually went away. So I had kind of slight confidence that, you know, if I could get on top of it by managing it, I might get to a point that's more bearable. So basically uh, it took three or four days just to try and get on top of it. And, you know, the stuff I was using was the recovery pump to try and get rid of the inflammation, anti-inflammatories, ice at any option I got when I was near the van, elevating it and sleeping my leg elevated and a bit of compression and just, you know, using the poles a bit more to try and offload and favor your left side. So yeah, I managed to try and get on top of that. And then on, then on day 17, my left went exactly the same way because I'd obviously been overcompensating on my left for the last week or so. So yeah, and then I was kind of just like, yeah, trying to manage that. So there was just a lot of firefighting, trying to manage niggles. That was probably the hardest bit. You know, I never felt like cardiovascular-wise, so endurance-wise, I never felt overly stretched. Yes, I was tired, but I never felt like physically I couldn't finish each day. Like I still had energy to keep going up and down hills. It was more of the kind of just fatigue of being in constant pain all day. It was just starting wearing me, wearing me down uh, mentally. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. <clears throat> so how did you deal? Because I'm assuming, you know, like with any kind of ultra running, there's many highs and lows. Um, what was the, some of the lows? Maybe the, the injuries, the niggles. I don't like to call them injuries because they didn't stop you. Um, so what was it, some low points and, and how did you get through them? Um, so, yeah, so obviously day 17, I mentioned, uh, was a very low point, uh, probably the lowest point of the round. It was just kind of like that's when my left leg started hurting. And I'd been doing big days. And I, I was mentally prepared. I knew going into the round that, you know, Round about in the middle of the round today, 14, 15, 16, 17, it'd be like Groundhog Day. Yeah. You're so far from the start, but you're so far from the finish. You kind of, you feel like you're just getting nowhere. And, you know, the novelty of first week worn mm -hmm. off and, you know, I've been doing it for so long, but yet the finish, Ben Hope, the last one roll, uh, was still like 14 days away. Um, so I was prepared for that. I knew that was going to be the hardest point in the round, so kind of, um, yeah, day 17, I was just kind of like, I'd lost focus, you know, I was thinking about like how many more days I had, and my left leg was, well, my left tibia tendon was really sore, and all I could think about was like another week or so of pain and going really slow. And yeah, that just kind of was just a downward spiral. I kind of, you know, going into it and during it, I was just trying to focus on one day at a time and not worry about the following day, and then even just focusing on one Monroe at a time. But on day 17, I was just kind of getting bogged down with, like, I'd been doing 12, 14-hour days. And for me, it didn't seem that I was getting anywhere because I still had, like, another two weeks to go. And, like, my body was kind of starting to fail me. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of like a low point. Um, started questioning, you know, why was I doing it? What's the point, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, because I've been in low points before in races and kind of, you know, I'm highly motivated and I really want to achieve this. I kind of care passionately about it. You know, I kind of compare it to, you know, how you get through a bad day at work. You might go home from work, complaining about your job, say it's rubbish, et cetera, et cetera. But just because you've had one bad day doesn't mean you don't go to work the following day. And that's exactly what it was. The day 17, I got back to the sport van, kind of moaned and whinged to my wife, Rachel. Uh, how I wasn't enjoying it, it was rubbish, could just go home, et cetera, et cetera. But there was never any doubt that, you know, I would go home that night. Like, I was ready two days off of the previous record. So, you know, worst case scenario, I could have taken two days rest and still 
you know, possibly broken the record. But um, yeah, so basically the next day I got up and just started started at normal. So up at 5 a.m. out the door by six running uh, or walking up a hill. So, you know, it was kind of that routine. It's like routine, that's what I did at that point. You know, I, yes, I wasn't enjoying it, but I still went out and did it knowing that, you know, I would just kind of pick away and eventually get there. And that's what I did, you know. So, you know, day 18 afterwards, I just got went out, moved things about slightly, just trying to help my um, left ankle. So I moved day 18 and 19 about, which managed, meant I had a bit more cycling and a bit less running on day 18. I just swapped 10 days about. So that kind of made a wee bit of a difference. But yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, I just get my head down, try and refocus one hill at a time. You know, I've got two days up in the record, so you know, there's no point of you know quitting or that. Just kind of just pick away and see how far you get. So that's kind of how you go through it. And what about a high point? Do you have them uh, some high points you could share? Yeah, so obviously the finish was really good. Um, <laughs> completing it and completing it on like and and within my schedule. So I originally planned to do it in 33 days, I made it in 31 days. and. Mm. Uh, 23 hours so it felt great you know finishing it but also kind of when you're at the finish it kind of felt a bit sad um because it was an end of a chapter you know because obviously i've been wanting to do this for quite a few years and it was like 12 months of my life and planning to kind of executing it um so it's kind of like end of a chapter but yeah it was still really nice it was kind of like mixed emotions because yeah obviously for the 31 days there was a lot of suffering but again there was a lot of fun just and just enjoying the simple life. I living in a van, getting up every day and just having to run hills. That's all I had to worry about. I didn't have to worry about anything else in life. All I did was wake up, run, eat and sleep. So, you know, uh, it was a great way to live, even though there's a lot of suffering involved in running big manos every day. It sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so obviously the finish was really high. And then the next point was um, going home to Sky, so like the Coolins and Sky is like really technical, really rocky, really kind of alpine kind of ridge and I got a lovely day for it and I had a couple of friends out on the ridge so I actually felt like just a day out in the hills doing the ridge, um, the Coolin Ridge rather than actually a part of the challenge. So it was the only day I probably didn't really look at my watch and think, oh, you know, how long it will take me to get back to the van and what time will I finish tonight? It was more just kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool, I was just moving along the ridge, kind of a bit of scrambling and just chatting away the friends, yeah. Um, that was quite a high point as well. And so, um, in regards to, say, shoes and gear, um, how many pairs of shoes did you go through? Um, probably, yeah, I've been about seven pairs of shoes at the end of it. So, thankfully, I'm sponsored by Salomon. Um, and I quite, I run in quite fairly minimalist, lightweight shoes I have for the last 10 years. So, mm. The trade-off of having lightweight minimalist shoes is they just don't stand up to Scottish bogs and rocks. <laughs> so it wasn't like the sole was wearing out. It was more just tearing the sides to shreds by like constantly having them wet and then scuffing them off rocks or kicking rocks with them, which isn't great either. It hurts your toes when you kick a rock. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, seven pairs of shoes are crashed uh, during the round. Yeah. Um, and what was the weather like? Because you know. Scotland has notoriously quite, you know, difficult weather for that sort of thing, especially over such a long time. Did you? Uh, have... Yeah, so I was, I was very kind of lucky with the weather. Obviously, like in Scotland, you're not, never going to get 
31 days of blue skies and sunshine. It's not Australia, so, you know, it's never going to be it. But, you know, I got uh, a fair chunk of good weather, i.e. blue skies, a lot of cloud flaming nose. Some days where it was actually really hot, um, maybe a bit too hot, but uh, it was a bit better than some of the other days. I had a quite a few days uh, where it was like, Proper Scottish, so it's like gale force wind on top of my nose, but horizontal rain. Um, yeah, then days were just a bit more about getting your head down and just keep moving, you know, just putting on loads of waterproof and carrying on. You know, probably, yeah, the weather was fine. There's probably one, two, three really bad days that really stick out that were really kind of wet, windy, um, and just miserable days. And then there was maybe another handful of days of just grey and Greek and drizzly. And then, yeah, there was probably a good couple of weeks where it was just like blue skies and sunshine. That's perfect weather for spin up the yeah. hills. But yeah, it wasn't too bad weather-wise. Oh, you were lucky. That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so what was your, like, you know, you, you finished and then what's your recovery been like since then? Uh, recovery, like, been since the finish. Obviously, as soon as I finished, um, I was just a bit busy because I'd taken five weeks off work. So as a running coach, I had to catch up with all my athletes. So that on top of uh, um, like media requests and podcasts, it was crazy busy. So I had images of finishing and going home and having a bath and having time to stretch. But it was probably about a week before I actually had time to myself to stretch and all the to just switch off. Uh, and catch up with all my work and all the other stuff. Um, so after that, I was kind of, after the first week, it was kind of nice just to get, try and get back to normality. So, yeah, a bit of stretching. And then, yeah, recovery since then was going well until last week until I came off my bike and uh, cracked my ribs. So that's oh, no. I paid to back outside. But, yeah, it's fine with me being an idiot on a bike. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, recovery was uh, going fine until, yeah, yeah, so just kind of trying to get back to normality and try and get into some shape for the winter to do a bit of ski mountaineering in the winter in Scotland oh, when there's nice. snow. So, yeah. And there's a few ski races going on in Scotland as well. So, yeah, just trying to get in shape for that now. Was it weird not to be running every day? Pardon? Yeah, once you finished. Sorry, once you finished, was it weird not to be getting up and running every day? Uh, it was nice for the first couple of days, but then afterwards when I was like, I'm doing eight hours at a desk. I was kind of missing the nose. I was kind of missing just that kind of. I didn't have any responsibility yeah. for the 31 days. I could just get up and run. Um, so yeah, I kind of after like two or three days, I was missing Monroe's. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of it took me probably maybe a week or two weeks before I was up in Monroe again. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it was nice just to kind of not have to get up at five a.m. But yeah, yeah. it was a sad bit of me that I was missing just living in a van and running every day. You know, it's a great, great lifestyle. And especially when, after you've done something like this, you, you kind of blank out the bad bad points and just That's remember it. the good points. And you're thinking, oh, that was really great. <laughs> yeah, the, mind, the, the brain's funny like that. <laughs> um, so other than some schemo over winter, do you have, what's your next challenge or event? Uh, I haven't got anything planned. Um, we wouldn't mind doing a couple of big days on skis on Scotland, so maybe like a, a Monroe a round of some Monroe's, not all of them on skis. Um, and then next year, obviously, we still don't know what's happening with COVID, so yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a few 
races next year. Not sure which ones. Uh, depends what happens. If not, I don't know, maybe do a long bike ride, kind of something different, or maybe just do another, not long run as in Monroe round long, but, you know, maybe a couple of day runs somewhere. Um, mm. Really haven't thought too much about it, but, yeah, it's just generally going to be involving running up and down hills, basically, or doing something long distance. But, yeah, and no real plans as such. Yeah, just see, wait, wait and see what happens with all the COVID restrictions and racing and stuff like that. So, um, are there there's, are there any races in Scotland at the moment? Uh, there's a couple of low key races. So, like of the Benahi Ultra is going ahead this weekend, and I think there might be a few other races. But I think they're getting set off from time trials and stuff. And mm. none of the bigger major races like the Highland Fling or the West Island Way went ahead. And same in Europe, none of like the UTMB and mm. the Gamma and some of the Skyrun races never went ahead. So you know. Whether they go ahead next year or not um, is a big question mark. So, yeah, see what happens. I wouldn't mind you know, maybe go to Europe and doing a big mountain race if there's one going ahead. Um, I just have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. We've all got our fingers crossed that there will be some sort of season next year. Now, <clears throat> do you have any tips for listeners who, you know, during this time of, of not having races to plan for necessarily, um, if they've got if they're thinking of a challenge, like how do they motivate themselves to, to complete a challenge when you're on your own and not racing against someone else? Do you have some tips for people for that? Yeah, so obviously, you know, during like when there's no races, you, your motivation might be a bit lower than normal because you haven't got anything to train for. So it's kind of that thinking outside the box. You don't have to have a race is a goal you know for example as a coach i'm telling some of my athletes to think about you know maybe trying to set a pb on one of their local routes so you know for example you know going and doing a, a round in scotland like um uh Tranter round or Ramsey round which is like a big long distance running out taking in like 24 monroes or um 20 monroes or something like that mm. uh, or even you know just doing you know something shorter so like trying to set a marathon pb in a time trial situation so not in a race uh so these are the kind of things are you know your race you were going to do if it was local it's not going ahead it's just going to run as a time trial see what time you can put down or you know even run a route train to run a route that you've run in training see if you can set a new pb on that route and put a date in the diary commit to it and it's kind of going to give you a bit more motivation uh or, you know, come up with a crazy challenge of, you know, trying to do something new. But the key is to find something you care passionately about that you want to do. And that way you're going to be more motivated to stick at it. So obviously, if you don't like road running and you haven't got any interest in marathons, then there's no point in saying, I'm okay, well, I'm going to set a marathon TV. Because mm. you're not going to be motivated or enthused by, <laughs> by the training to kind of make the outcome. So, you know, whereas if you're enthused by running up and down hills for a long period of time, you might be looking to do, you know, a PB of a, a hill, you know, setting a new time going up a hill or seeing how many hills you can do in 24 hours or, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of Everest thing going up. It's yeah. basically just doing reps on a hill to climb the height of Everest. So, you know, these are the kind of things that, you know, you can do. And basically the trick is to actually, rather than just saying you're going to do it, to put a date in the diary, commit to it, tell people that you're going to do it so you're going to be held accountable to do it and that will give you the motivation. It's a bit like, you know, you enter a race, you tell people you're doing that race. So you kind of commit to it and you want to do the race. So it's exactly the same if you're setting yourself a challenge. Um, 
put it in a diary, give yourself a date, and then tell people, tell your friends, because then you're going to be more accountable and have committed to it. Yeah, that's that's some really that's a really good idea, and um, yeah, there's still always something that you can plan for and and have as a motivator. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your experience with the um, with the Monroes. That's such an awesome run, and so well done on breaking the record. And thanks for chatting with me. Thank us. you. No, thanks for having me on. It's great to chat to you this morning. No worries. Thanks for that. Bye. So what did you think? Certainly for myself, um, I found from the podcast, I was really interested to learn about Shinti. Google it yourself and check it out. Well, Donnie certainly trained a lot to achieve his goal. I also found it interesting that he didn't feel the cycling necessarily specifically benefited his running other than it allowing him to be able to keep his volume high without the striking forces and, um, you know, impact forces injuring him. I find running so interesting because everyone's experience of it is so different and their training required training styles required is so different that's i guess why i love coaching so much anyway have a great week of running training cross training whatever it is you do and uh i look forward to catching up with you on the next podcast